Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are speaking with Jill Bunny. Jill is a CBT fitness health coach and functional medicine health coach. We had an incredible conversation, all things health, taking responsibility for our choices. And we really dove into her story, which is unbelievable. It really, really is. Jill is a dedicated and energetic fitness professional. She specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy with 15 years extensive experience in functional nutrition, human kinetics, and psychology. She's a retired professional athlete turned cancer survivor and MS warrior. Jill inspires her audiences to view responsibility as one of the key pillars to owning fitness, health, and life. We chatted all things health, responsibility, ownership, and we even got into the whole social media and where it has a place and understanding what it can be doing to us in our lives. We just had a great conversation and I know that there's going to be so many takeaways for you in this episode. I can't wait for you to listen to this one. Welcome to the show today, Jill. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me here. I cannot wait to dive in and see what we get up to. I think we're definitely going to come in and come over some really cool topics here. So first off, tell us where you're from. I'm from Toronto, Ontario, up here in Canada. And honestly, it's such a beautiful space right now. We're going into the fall, so we get the beautiful leaves and the change of seasons. And uh, usually with travel, I get to go to hot places. And since the past year with this pandemic, I've really just been able to enjoy Canada and all it has to offer. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud Canadian. <laughs> oh, I see Canadian. I'm definitely a Canadian. I'm literally up the street from you. When I looked it up, I was like, Oh, I'm in Kitchener-Waterloo. So we're not even that far. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We're not even that far apart. It's hilarious. And our referral came from somebody who's American. So I love the circle and how it works. But yes, we're definitely up the street for each other. Are you a reader? Are you a reader? And if you're a reader, do you have a, a book that had an impact on you? Mm-hmm. I am an avid reader. I think I was since a very, very young girl. And I would say that my like grade one teacher got me into uh, competitive reading where we would get awards for who read the most pages in a year. So literally from, from you know, age of six, I absolutely loved books. And I would say that my most favorite read and had the biggest change in my life was Feeling Good by Dr. Burns. So that is a CBT book and it helps with mood and depression. And that's really what 
segmented me into looking at mental health when it comes to health and fitness. That's awesome. Definitely. I'm going to have to look that one up because I've not read that one. Do it's, you it's have a, a bit thick? I will say that it's, it's thick. Well, it's, yeah. Not the prettiest cover. It's from like the 60s, but uh, it's got some great insight. <laughs> but if you read it at a time where it helped you through things, that it becomes that impactful. Mm-hmm. Like it may, it's a book that makes an impact on you. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you use that keeps you in pers- like keeps life in perspective? You know, I'm not the biggest affirmation quote person, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I find when I was going through, you know, some mood shifts and, and some difficult times, I found it hard to believe some of the affirmations that were out there and I couldn't connect to them. So I, I would write them on the mirror thinking one day I'll believe it. And I never kind of clicked. So I stopped looking at affirmations outside of myself and then just started writing my own statements, how I was feeling. and. Kind of just a little different way that I kind of play on that. I actually love that. I have my own little script that I write mm-hmm. and it's all my own, my own quotes or my, not my things that, that are impactful for me and we'll shift that thinking. So I've done the same thing. I've tried the quotes in the mirrors. I've mm-hmm. tried the affirmations and if they don't resonate and land, then I don't think there's any point to them. It, like I, you have to believe it, right? So if it's, if it's not there, it's not there. It's totally mm-hmm. Um, do you have a mentor who has impacted your life? I do. So after I read Dr. Burns, Feeling Good, I absolutely started to love CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. So I started my educational journey in psychotherapy and then ended up going to the Bex Institute, which is in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and ended up connecting with Judith Beck herself, which is the daughter to Aaron Beck, who is the founding father of CBT. So I would say that she has been the mentor to me and to guide me to where I am today. So how old were you when you went to that institute? I was, good question. I'm 34 now. So I was 30 years old. Okay. Okay. So not that long ago. This is still fairly fresh, Mm -hmm. right? In in perspective wise. I would say, and that was such a difference, right? Being young, we tend to have um, celebrities or, you know, fitness models and competitors. That was kind of the realm I was in beforehand, before I retired. And I would look up to them for inspiration, which is completely fine because where I was at. And then going through retirement and my physical health battles, I needed to have a different perspective And I found that that person didn't care who I was, didn't care about Instagram or following and just was there for me for a call without getting any validation. And that's what I believe a true mentor is, not for their own self-prophecies. It's for for me. And that's what she showed. I think you literally split the field there because I think that (laughs) you, because I think some mentors maybe are in that for the wrong, it's just Mm -hmm. the wrong perspective and the wrong way of thinking. What um, athlete, what kind of athlete were you? What sport were you playing? I, I was actually a volleyball player, so I played for elite level and in Canada all the way through high school, through university, I got a scholarship. And then I moved to England, married my uh, quote unquote first boyfriend, thought my life was going to be white picket fence, beautiful, those silly books I read when I was six, right? The fairy tales. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> didn't end up that way. So I ended up moving back to Canada mm-hmm. and I ended up 
fitness competing. So I wanted to showcase my body. I wanted to feel strong and empowered. Mm -hmm. So I ended up going into the field of bodybuilding and ended up with four IFBB titles before I retired. Wow. And so what age did you retire then? I retired literally when I turned 30 years old, like four days after. So, and that was four months later going into the CBT route. So everything kind of meshed very well. Wow. So at this point, as we go through, tell us a little bit about your survivor, right? You're a warrior, you're a survivor. There's definitely so many parts of your story that you are a survivor. So tell us, you can start wherever you want, share a little bit of your story. You shared that first part there as far as like it takes, there's a certain person who can take sports to a level that you did, mm-hmm. take fitness competing to a level that you did. That's a certain I want to, I don't want to put that. How do I say that focus intensity, being able mm-hmm. to do that extra work, right? It's the extra mile. It's mm-hmm. different than just going to the gym. There's nothing wrong with that going to the gym, you know, a few days a week, but at the level that you are at, that's obviously something that you are already wired for that kind of thinking that you are wired for that kind of push, that kind of drive. Yeah. And that's what I kind of look at growing up. We, we have genetics, right? We hear that all the time as part of physical health, mental health, which I'll get into, but there's also the learned experiences, which I think are also very important. And obviously growing up as a kid, competitive trait was, you know, instilled in me from my parents to my coaches, to my teachers. So I knew that, wow, if I was really good at sports and competitive, then I would be accepted and liked. And that's what we kind of want to do as children. We want to be accepted. So that kind of pushed me into the world of sports. And then obviously going through a divorce, that kind of hit that um, little trigger of saying, maybe I'm not lovable. Maybe, you know, someone doesn't accept me. And that was really difficult. And that's what kind of pushed me into the competing route was it was easy in the sense that I felt comfort. Mm -hmm. And it was a way for me to have control where I felt like I had no control over any other part of my life. And I'm like, I can control my body. Was it the right thing? It's hard to answer that question, but at that moment in time, that's what I needed to get myself back on my feet. And I look back now saying I probably could have done things a little bit differently, but learned experiences. It's put me here. Mm -hmm. And throughout that journey of competing, I always realized that "Hmm, I'm working really hard, but it seems that I'm working a lot harder than other people. We shouldn't compare but it's hard not to when you have the social media right in front of you, you, start looking at what other people are doing and you're comparing yourselves. And I realized that if this was difficult, my body was kind of pushing against me mm-hmm. and was going to the doctors. My eyesight was going thinking, maybe this is just stress. And yeah, so, what, so what other things were happening to you at that time? So eyesight was going. Yeah. So my eyesight was blurry. I literally went through probably three boxes of contacts. I spent a lot of money thinking there's something wrong with the contacts. Oh, no. <laughs> and my, my boyfriend, my husband now, he said, I think you need to just go to the eye doctors. Um, so they started to see some degeneration in my eye. And then as well, my balance was off. I was very tired. Mm-hmm. And there was a long process of different diagnoses and going through different tests. And then they were able to say that I did have MS. So that was my first battle. And, and how, I, did that, how, how did you process that at the time? I didn't. And that was the thing. I went into the doctor's office all by myself and they diagnosed me and I thought, hmm, okay, well, I'm going to go and train. So I went straight to the gym. So that was my avoidance mechanism going red flagged, but I just, I wasn't ready to accept what was happening. 
Mm -hmm. And I kept pushing through competing. And obviously that stress was a lot on my body. Mm -hmm. It was also a lot on my relationships and my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I realized that if I was going to keep going down this road and pushing my body and my family's watching me deteriorate, that I was not going to have a full life. Right. So I said to my husband that, well, he's my husband now, <laughs> that this will be my last show. We'll do the Arnold's. We'll do it together. It was our favorite show and I'll retire. Mm-hmm. So we won it. So that's a good way to end. <laughs> so yes. I was very on top, right? Otherwise you just start going downhill. So of course, of course. I'm like, we'll end here. And I thought, okay, now let's get control over my life. We can get married, you know, whatever our life, you know, has in front of us. And then two months later was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. I- yeah. Wow. I, okay. So unpacking that, that's a lot to take in, in a really short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot. And obviously thyroid cancer is one of the better cancers to get, mm-hmm. um, survival rate. It's about 85, 90%. Yes. So I wasn't too concerned about that. And I thought, okay, we'll go through the surgery. We'll do the thyroidectomy and everything will be great. So the surgery was perfectly fine. I actually had a great time in the hospital. I got a day off from work and I said to the nurse, funny enough, I'm like, I'm not a person that uses drugs, but you know what? I need a day off. So if you could give me some extra painkillers, allow me to enjoy myself. (laughs) I did. And my husband has a photo. I should send it to you with like a bottle of ginger ale and animal crackers. I had the best night ever. ever. That's awesome. I love that. That was a positive experience going through that. But then comes the hormones. And obviously I needed to be on Synthroid because I don't have a thyroid myself anymore. That was when my mood started to shift. Obviously everything is correlated. So depression set in. My identity as an athlete was gone, put on 70 pounds. So I just was felt that I had no control, which I really like to have as a type A person. And I couldn't do it. And that was my whole job was my body. And I had no control over that, even when I ate clean and did everything. So I realized that, okay, I could keep going down the road I was going down. This was not going to get any better. Mm -hmm. Or I can choose to make a shift, change gears, you know, stop focusing in the competition world because it wasn't healthy for me to still be two feet in watching people and coaching at a full-time level with that. And that's when I just picked up that book and that started to make a huge shift. And that's kind of brought me where I am four years later. Wow. Mm-hmm. You are, I mean, we've just met, but I'm just, I'm, it's amazing what you've gone through in a short period of time mm-hmm. and how you could change that perspective. So can you think back to a point where as a person who wanted and had control, because mm-hmm. I can so relate to you, anybody who's listening to this is going to know and understand, but I can so relate to you. And there had to be a point where it's like, okay, I'm going to actually admit this is not working anymore. Like I think surrender happens when there's no other options left. It just mm-hmm. becomes like this, I guess this is it. Cause there's nothing else left. Do yeah. you remember that point, that turning point and what that was like to take the next step and say, mm-hmm. okay, I give up and let's just look at this a different way. Yeah. I asked for help. I remember sitting you know, on my like bedroom floor and I had my, you know, clear heels. I had my tons and tons of trophies and bikinis and I'm looking at this. And this was before actually going through the surgery and looking at it, like I'm giving all this up. And it was hard because it was possessions, but I still loved it. And I remember the next day after, you know, 
having my surgery, having a fun night and kind of sitting there and my husband came and my brother and that was it. Right. And then I came home, went through, you know, that was difficult, you know, transition the first few weeks in the sense of going through surgery. Mm-hmm. And I will state this, nobody came to see me. That was when I gave up was saying, wow, like I was holding on to heels and all this and this identity mm-hmm. and thinking that I had all this friendship and love and support. And actually it was very fictitious. And that's when I kind of said, okay, I need to find someone else to help me because I spent every moment for this industry, for these people, you know, my sponsors and everything just dropped. So it was really hard. And it kind of, you know, made me think back to my divorce and saying, wow, am I really that unlovable and forgetful? Mm-hmm. Right. And I remember saying to my husband that that's now Luke, I'm like, you know what? I realized that it's not the people that didn't come. And I was so angry but actually it was just, they didn't know what to do. And that's what I've kind of started to realize was, huh, through my own journey, I was so mad, but then I didn't take into account their own feelings of saying, I don't really know how to deal with Jill. She's always been strong and I can't see her upset. I don't know how to deal with it. We avoid, I'm really good at avoiding. So in essence, I was, you know, feeling what I was doing to other people Mm -hmm. and through the journey of, you know, therapy and really starting to understand myself, it kind of gave this you know, new opening and that less judgmental attitude. And that was my, my point where I just gave up of, you know, holding on to control for sure. Cause it's all or nothing. It's never going to happen. You can't control everything. <laughs> no. And it's, and it's, I always think that when you're that type A person and you've driven hard to achieve things, mm-hmm. I always say that there comes a point in time in life when our greatest strength becomes our biggest weakness. Mm-hmm. Because I, I mean, a lot of my, my drive to achieve things, to do things like that type A served me so well for so long mm-hmm. until she didn't, until she didn't. And eventually it was like, Marcia, you have to learn another way because this way is going to kill you. You just can't do it this way. And it's, it's a turning point when all of a sudden you you have to look at it and say, we have to do this a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's hard. It's hard to, to make that shift because it's easy to, you know, live in that comfort zone and think, okay, well, if I go after this now, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but sometimes there's no turning back and it's saying, okay, you know what? I have no choice. I can keep going down the road, but it's not going to get any better. And although it might hurt a little bit more as we do transition, it does open up so many more doors and I, and I couldn't be happier now. I just kind of wish I knew this feeling back oh, four years yeah. ago. <laughs> Yes. And that's the thing is that we don't learn it until we have to, we don't learn it until there's nothing left to do. And it's like, okay, why couldn't I surrender? Why couldn't I have just surrendered earlier? Because my type A was like, we're going to find a way we're going to figure this out. We're going to push through it. We're going to do it. So you just have to laugh a little bit because it's like, yeah, I was the one making it worse. I was the one making it harder. I was doing that. I was doing that to my own situation. Mm-hmm. And I think you just made me think of um, the four agreements and Don, Don Miguel Reese, where it's like the, what people do or say has nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. And that's when we're going through a really difficult time. I know I was very hurt, angry with a lot of people. Some people said some horrible things to us or they avoided us completely like we had the plague. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn to just go, that's not actually has nothing to do with us. I mean, I didn't know how to handle the situation and I lived in it. So mm-hmm. how could people from outside have a clue what to do? And 
when you start to realize that people, their reaction really has nothing to do with us, it gets easier to say, okay, so what can I do next? Like, how do I? Yeah. I agree more. And that's the biggest thing of, you know, a lot of women that I work with and myself, we're human givers. You know, we feel like we have to be pretty and calm and generous and attentive to everyone's needs at all times, which is really stressful. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when we feel like we're not meeting those needs, which I definitely felt it was, yeah. oh, it's my fault. And I was personalizing everything. Whereas, yeah, half the time it has nothing to do with us in the first place. No, we just do that to ourselves. So you then take this book, you're at a lower point, you take mm-hmm. this book, you read it, and it hits for you. You obviously have some light bulb moments. Mm-hmm. What were some of your first steps where you were looking at it going, okay, I think I can do this differently. Mm-hmm. I think I can look at this differently. What were they? Yeah. So after I, I read the book, I thought, okay, well, I want to learn more information because I'm a bookworm. I want to learn. And I am, I do love higher education. So I do love learning in a systematic manner. That's probably my type A. So I went back to Loria University and took their CBT Essentials course. And during that time, they have required readings. So that was one of them was the Beck's book. And I thought, oh, well, it seems that there's a lot of talk about this gentleman and the, his daughter. So I found their institute and I, and my husband and I drove down there and I spent two days at a seminar and then started to have mentorship sessions with them. And I just started applying the knowledge that I gained to myself. I noticed the difference. Mm-hmm. And then I was subconsciously doing it with the clients that I work with. You know, when I was doing nutrition and training plans, I've been doing it for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I was noticing better changes. They were happier. They were maintaining their results. And I thought, oh, well, maybe this could be one of the things that's lacking in the fitness industry is understanding our thoughts. It's pretty like, expert, and like yes, that does work. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And from there it was, okay, let's keep practicing this. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. just start applying it in my day to day. And, you know, then it became in Canada that they made a regulation in 2018 that it is a controlled act doing a lot of therapy style um, sessions. So before then counseling, anybody could call themselves a therapist. Yes. Which is terrible. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, even though like CBT, anybody can use it and you can be a health coach and using those skills, that's just like mindfulness or anything that we choose. Mm-hmm. I realized that I really wanted to dive in more to CBT when it comes to aesthetic based coaching mm-hmm. and helping clients and athletes transition out of sport when they need to retire. And I mean like gymnasts or ballerinas or even, you know, fitness competitors because it is body image and there is a huge disordered eating. That's what happens. But where do we go? I'm like, I had to deal with all that on my own. And I realized that, okay, this is what I need to do. This is why I went through this whole life experiences and the challenges. So I'm back at university and finishing my master's in psychotherapy so that I can do that in a registered form. Wow. Good for you. That is just, I just love how that story, I I wish you didn't have to go through everything that you did, but how you've taken that story and what you were doing with it. Would you be able to give an example of like CBT? How, what does that actually mean for a person who's like, what is that? Mm -hmm. So it's cognitive behavioral therapy. We'll just scratch that out because it's way too long to think about. Yeah. But Basically, we all go through difficult times. So there's a situation, there's an event, or maybe, you know, somebody said something to us and it wasn't very nice, but it's actually not the situation that, you know, can be the issue. It's how we react to it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I kind of teach my clients or anybody that I talk to that we could be in the same situation 
I react very differently. So it's looking at our thoughts and our feelings and our mood and our behaviors. And why is it that we think this way? Then we get upset and then we go after that Cheetos bag, right? Whereas someone else is like, "Mm, don't care. So it's just looking at those thoughts in a realistic manner and saying, hey, well, what's going on here? What, What kind of thinking errors am I having? And what can I do about it? And in doing so, we're stopping that cycle of self-sabotage or realizing, you know, this all or nothing mindset that happens all the time that we just become more realistic and really compassionate towards ourselves. And I absolutely think our brains are amazing. And a lot of, you know, women say, even myself, I'm crazy. And I'm like, well, we all are because we have 10,000 thoughts a day and some of them are outrageous. They're horrible. (laughs) Right? And I laugh. Yep. Sometimes I'm like, whoa, did I just think that? I did. You're so funny, Jill. Let's get on with our day. Mm-hmm. So now they don't affect me as much as they used to. Uh, so you can take those thoughts and you shift them as a in that moment to look at them differently. And mm-hmm. yeah, I were, I didn't do that. Um, I did do a lot of therapy earlier, but I remember somebody has suggested journaling and not journaling for goals, but journaling to dump out what was in my head. And I would dump out and some of the verbiage and the words I would dump out. I remember looking at it going like, I would never let anyone talk to me this way. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? And then it became a, a, a process of like, being able to see on paper what I was actually thinking about myself helped me to go, no, 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 we're not doing this. We're changing that thinking. So is that the kind of shift that happens or is the goal that happens with CBT? Yep. And that's why I said we don't, we're not trying to create, we, we want to write a new statement. That's what I usually say, whatever it might be that I will never lose 20 pounds, right? You know, you could write, I am 20 pounds lighter. That, that's an affirmation people write. Well, that's not the truth. It's not reality, but what can we write, right? So we want to kind of change things. I am working towards losing 20 pounds and being healthy. So we want to have statements that, yes, that are true. And then when we do have those triggering thoughts that we go back to a little response card and we know, okay, this is just a thought. It's not a fact. It's not 100% true. Definitely not what would not hold up in court. Mm-hmm. And that's just what it is. It's a thought. It happens. And we can't control them. And that was the biggest thing that I learned. I'm a control freak. There's no way you can control your thoughts. It is automatic. They pop out of nowhere. And when I just kind of let go of that and just allowed them to go, I think of like a stream and then a leaf just is a thought and it pops on a stream and it just, it just goes. I'm like, cause I'm going to have another one in about two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I love that visual. Yeah. That's such a great visual of like not just you physically letting it go like letting it go and it's gone Mm -hmm. I don't need it anymore yep yeah I don't need that thought anymore so you have now taken that and you do you offer um it's a certification program that you do now yep so I started doing a CBT health coaching certification so I can help fitness trainers that, you know, obviously when we've taken our certification, it's more based on uh, fundamental movements or even nutrition that yes, we have the academic accolade to help somebody. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, how do we know so- how somebody's thinking or they're struggling through something emotional? Yes, we can have the best plan in the world, but why can somebody follow it and somebody else can't, right? And that's the thing is we need to be able to understand clients and be able to talk to them and be health coaches, not therapists, but we do need to have the skills that therapists do. And we don't have to do a controlled act because I will be honest, today's day, we have more mental health issues. And when somebody goes to a health coach, 
they're not going because they're like, oh, I feel fantastic. I'm having the best life. I feel great. No, they're going because they want to change something. Something might be troubling them. But we don't have the skills as trainers unless we take something as for higher education to be able to help them the best we can mm-hmm. feel confident or know where our strengths are or even how to refer out when somebody is troubled and it's beyond our capabilities. So that's kind of what I wanted to create was giving, you know, trainers the capabilities to understand these skills that I teach, but also the resources and references that they need in their area to be able to refer out and work collaboratively. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. How long is is your certification? It's 12 weeks long. So people can apply and then each week they do assignments. We get on a call, we go through the information. So it's not a, a fly by night course that people take and just sign a, you know, do a multiple choice that I want to make sure that, you know, we're aware of how to use the skills because it's uh, it's really important and nobody's ever brought CBT into the fitness industry. So I feel like it's a big undertaking. <laughs> I think it's a huge undertaking, but I think it is so needed. I think it is just so, I think it's so necessary in the fitness field, but I think it's necessary in life in general. Mm-hmm. And I can think of like, just, I worked in the fitness field as in, as a kinesiologist for 27 years. So mm-hmm. I have crossed paths with many people in, um, who had prior like dance background, prior mm-hmm. gymnastics, prior fitness com- com- uh, competitors. And I could just, just think of how uh, every single one that I can think of off the top of my head right now, when they stopped doing what they were doing, you could see the struggles that they went through because their body was different. Their, their activities were different their, And it just was, it was, it was hard to see because how hard they could be on themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's just and I, it's a different kind of thing, even in fitness, right? When it comes to anybody wanting to change the way they look, mm-hmm. that's difficult. And it's difficult when, you know, you're in a sport, that's your identity. And now you have to transition into somebody else. But, you know, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. And it's not something that happens overnight. And I'll be honest, it took me three, four years to be able to be here, which, which I am is four years later, five years, maybe since I've competed, but it took me a long, long time, but you know, nothing happens overnight. No. And I thank you for sharing that because a lot of people do, they will look at where you are right now Mm -hmm. and listening to it. And a lot of times people jump to the conclusion of she makes that look easy. Like it's Mm -hmm. No, thank you for clarifying that. Right. It's not. We don't see the backstory. We never see someone's backstory. You know what? Like a lot of people listening probably know if they go to the gym and they stop going for a month, they're not gonna look as good as they were a month ago or their food. It's the same thing. So when it comes to CBT, it's just a skill base that I use and doing sheets and stuff like that. And you know, I train my brain. If I don't train my brain, I'm gonna lose the skills that I that I use. So I literally do it. You know, I'm lucky that I do it every day for work. So I technically am, you know, making sure that I, I do it myself. But if I don't or my clients don't, they, they might not for a week and a half or two weeks and they notice their mood and they say, yeah, you know what? I do need to do this every day. It is important that I train my brain just like the rest of my body. And I think that's a big misconnect with a lot of uh, ourselves right now. So powerful. What are um, three things that you do personally yourself to help you stay in the best mindset, best perspective on a daily basis? Like what kinds of things do you need? 
So one, I create boundaries. I'm, I used to have none and I'd allow, I'd work literally from 4am to like 7pm every night. I would never take a day off. I'd want to be available to every single person, human giver syndrome. Here we go. And I felt guilty for doing anything that wasn't work. Uh, that took a long time, but I also realized that when I gave myself the time off, I was better for my clients, but I also deserve it. And I preach that to my clients, but I couldn't do it myself. So boundaries are huge. I turn my phone off at 6 p.m. every night. Oh, I love that. Yep. Because otherwise I'm checking stuff, right? So I turn my phone off. It goes up in my office and I don't have it around with me. If I'm with anybody, my phone is not on me. It's in my purse. It's turned off because there's nothing worse than seeing somebody on a phone. Even though we just do it, it's so disrespectful. And I realized that when somebody was doing it to me, because I used to just do it all the time and my husband was doing it, I got really hurt. And then I just needed to say, wow, like if you happen to pass away tomorrow and I was on my phone that night because I just was doinking around on Instagram, I could never forgive myself. And that's kind of where I've kind of set myself up now. Whereas right now I get to see you. This is more important than a like or anything like that. So I'm very, very cautious of how I use that kind of stuff. And that's my device. Fantastic. a lot of people cannot say that that is not that that's fantastic. You know what you get anxiety, it goes up when I was like, okay, I have to do this, but anxiety will not continue to go up. It's like a wave, it'll hit a peak, and then it has to crash down. Like, you know, your central nervous system, it can't take chronic stress like that, it will come down. So it's just try, you know, experiment. That's what CBT is. We experiment with things. So it could be, okay, I'm going to shut my phone off at six o'clock. Do I get a better sleep? And you can see, and and if that works for you. So that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one is I give myself credit for what I do every day. So that is a CBT technique that I've instilled for four years. I have a little journal, um, but I will share a little creative way you can do it, but I'm not that creative. (laughs) But I just write down whatever I give myself credit for. It might be the simplest thing, right? It could have been that, oh, I wash the dishes because half the time I leave them in the sink, right? But it's like, okay, what have I done today? No matter how small, Mm -hmm. they do add up. And I have a lot of clients that say, well, I didn't do anything well. Okay, well, did you eat breakfast today? Yeah. I'm like, have you eaten breakfast in the past month? No. Okay, why don't you give yourself credit? Well, I should be doing it, but you haven't. Should. Should. Should is a cognitive distortion, which we know a must should. We, we have that as a thinking error. So we look at, well, you did it today, so let's give ourselves credit. And a month from now, you might not because now that's a habit. Mm-hmm. So I find that just, you know, looking at your day and doing an inventory makes a huge difference. And one of my clients came up with this. I did not, so I won't steal it from her. So what she did was get mason jars with her kids. And she felt that at dinner, it was really stressful for her to stick to her food plan and, you know, have healthy options, especially when it was her like pizza night with her kids. So she's like, instead of me focusing on the food, it's such a great time to give all of ourselves credit for the day. So they got mason jars. She would put in like, write something down on a little post-it note and put it in a jar. All the kids would do that before dinner. So they, and then sometimes they would pop other ones in and give ourselves credit for something. And that became their routine before dinner. So she was more excited for that. And then when pizza night came around, they emptied them all and they got to read them from the week. And I think the kids decorated the mason jars too, which was pretty cool, but it was teaching the kids to give themselves credit, which I think is really neat. And that's a great way to develop skills is just do it with your family. It's huge. And I, I see that as like a nest 
step like level from gratitude. We talk about gratitude all the time. When you're in a really dark spot, I always say that when people used to talk, say to me, you need to be grateful. I like, I want to punch them in the face. I'm like, are you kidding me? But if you, there were times I'm like, I went for a walk today. Like I did this for me today. That mm-hmm. would help to shift it. They eventually became gratitudes, mm-hmm. but that was, that was not how I could see it in the beginning. I just mm-hmm. find gratitude. So I love how you said that because we don't give ourselves enough credit. Nope. And we need to, and even with gratitude going off that, I find a lot of the time we do possessions and materialistic goods when we come to gratefulness and, or as human givers, we give gratitude to everyone else other than ourselves. So I'm like, "Mm, give gratitude to yourself, what you did. Like, I am about collaboration, but we got to give ourselves a priority. Yes. Um, And then I would say another one that I do every morning, which my clients know is an advantages list. So I do have like goals that there are things that I want to accomplish. And then when you get stressed out or the day-to-day or my dog barks at me like 10 times in the morning, I just get frustrated, right? And it's like, okay, well, what's my goals? What's important? What are the advantages for me, you know, doing my workouts in the morning before I start work? What are the advantages of shutting my phone off at six o'clock, right? And understanding that writing a list and reading it first thing allows our prefrontal cortex and our brain to say, okay, this is why I'm going to, you know, eat clean. This is why I'm going to turn my phone off and go to bed early. And then we're more likely to possibly do it in the day. Mm-hmm. Those are so simple. It's so doable. It's so doable for everybody. We don't need to create complexity all times in our life. <laughs> no, we don't. Because we're very good at it. Like we're extremely I'm good sure at it. We are. That's our self-sabotage. So see, I can't have my goal because of this. I'm like, but you actually mm-hmm. created this. Like you created this part. That's mm-hmm. your roadblock, right? So it's an interesting what we do as humans and how we, we stop ourselves. So you, I know the one thing we talked about you, I, from your bio and looking at it is like your key pillars of fitness. What do you see those pillars as being? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, to fitness, I take more of the approach of a functional medicine. Mm-hmm. So that's one of them that okay. I do functional medicine, uh, health coaching. I also do love obviously CBT and mindset and mental components also very, very important. And then I do believe in body composition and physical activity as another component. So looking at that from maybe a kinesiology point of view, um, but I also look at the pillars of, it's more of a model. So not many people know this, but you would, um, it's the BPS model. So it's the biopsychosocial model. So whenever we get stressed out or just shit hits the fan. Sorry to say that. No, you can say Right? We're like, well, what is the one cause of this problem? And then we cause more stress because I'm sorry to say this, but there's always multiple factors as to why shit hits the fan. Oh yeah. You know, with my thyroid cancer, for example, biologically, yes, my hormones changed Mm -hmm. from a like psychological component. I was going through depression. I had mood shifts. And then from that social factor, you know, I felt alone and I didn't feel that I was connected or anybody was going through what I was going through. So that's what I kind of look at as well as the functional medicine and training and CBT. I look at, well, what's biologically happening? What's psychologically happening and the social cultural environment as well. That way we're not trying to focus on one specific factor because I'm sorry, we're so complex. Like we said that there's multiple, um, things going on. There's a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. And I love how you said that and explained it. It's explained it so well. They all interweave through like everything is interwoven. So mm-hmm. when you can really start to take some control, I the word of one of those facets or being mm-hmm. like taking ownership 
of, I am going to change this. It's amazing how that can ripple into this. I, because of COVID, I, I did lose my, my job as a kinesiologist for many, many months. And so I started working out for myself in the morning. This is the first time in my life. Sorry to all my clients who listen. It's the first time in my life I've actually been able to take care of me first. I cannot tell you the feeling of that. Mm-hmm. It's because for 27 years, I was getting up at, you know, 5am, 4am, seeing clients at six and seven. And that's what you do is your job. And then I would get to myself later as the day went. Mm-hmm. I, that shift during COVID has been like, Oh wow, this is just, it mm-hmm. feels great to be able to take care of yourself first. Yeah. And that's what, you know, if you're not running your own business or even sometimes we have to be there early, mm-hmm. you know, you'd say, well, of course I'm going to, you know, go the last minute because I want to do something for myself. Mm-hmm. And I totally do agree that even a little morning routine or something when you wake up rather than going on Instagram, the first thing, some people listening might be flipping that phone. I used to do that before I even went into bed. I would answer emails at 3am while in bed. And that was when I turned it off and said, no, like I am way more important than that. And it was an analogy that popped in my head was, mm, okay, well, let's say I was, you know, had surgery the next day and my surgeon was doinking around on her phone at 3am when I know that she's going to be doing great I'd be like I don't trust you like I want to sleep because I need you fully functioning in order to do your job to make sure that I am safe even if I'm not a surgeon I take that same responsibility with my clients that I need to be there for them and fully present not tired or stressed out so yeah I'm not going to be on my phone and I would hope that you know you guys see that too and say yeah I want to be fully present for my job and I would hope somebody would have the same respect back. So that's kind of, kind of my viewpoint. I'm not a surgeon, but uh, you know. No, but I understand exactly what you're saying. Big time. I understand what you're saying. Um, You have so many, so much value that you have added to the listeners to be able to take, have takeaways that they can do. Where's Mm -hmm. the best way for them to reach out and connect with you, follow you? Mm Mm-hmm. So I will admit that um, I don't have a huge team that, that that's doing my Instagram. So that is me as in don't DM me because I'm probably not going to re- respond right away. I'm terrible on social media platforms. Um, so the best way to reach me is just go to cbtmeetsfitness.com or jillbenny.com and just hit the contact and send me an email. That is the best way. I'm so much faster on email than uh, any social media platform. So many people would not be able to say that, but it, because you have such boundaries with your phone, that's probably a factor too, which is great. Mm-hmm. I have, I, I, my, my phone goes off at eight at night and doesn't go on until seven the next morning. Okay. And a lot of times like, I'm like, I think I can push that. I'm going to challenge me mentally I'm gonna do that sooner. Mm-hmm. And I have some people who are like, I sent two, three messages last night. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't get it. I was like, it's not, and I actually had one send it. I sent you three messages last night. And then by the next morning, it was seven o'clock. And they're like, okay, so what's the matter? Why aren't you answering? And I'm like, wow, like, I don't want to live in that. But if we are always responding to people who do act that way, we are teaching them that it's okay. It's okay. You can like, right. There's your lack of boundaries. That is a really fuzzy line that people don't understand that we're actually creating the scenario that is 100% Right. And it, it was hard at first. Right. I thought I can't live without it. I need to make sure I check all the time. Mm-hmm. But really, if, at the end of the day, if somebody it's an emergency, they will call. Right? Or they can so that wasn't an issue. And I also just I did a seven day detox once I wanted to jump beyond there and see could I cope 100%. And I felt fantastic. And I looked and like I didn't I checked my like the messages. I'm like, 
there was nothing pertinent. There was like, it was really nice stuff, but I'm like, I can live without that. And there's a different communication that happens through email, I find. Um, oh, and definitely. then a phone call, like I'm, I'm a person that if anybody, you know, needs to talk, I'll just jump on a call because I just love, you know, being able to oh, that way. Interesting. It's just, I don't get all the emojis. That's like emoji psychology. I've started to research that because I don't get it. <laughs> I'm only going to laugh for a second. Because when it comes to Instagram posts, I have some friends who got like, I'm like, that's an emoji. Where do you find these things? And I'm like, I don't have that mentally, that capacity no. or time to create for that long. And it's, and it's a language too, reading about it, that it is, it does show expression. Obviously, nonverbal cues, it's difficult to show hand gestures. So there are ways that, especially people that can articulate their information through language, they can use emojis for, you know, more of a, an emotional factor, which obviously those are positives, mm-hmm. but obviously there's other explanations for certain emojis too. I know we're getting off tangent, but it's super fun to oh, talk. No, it, it is. Right. Funny. But I was like, what, what does a peach and an eggplant mean when you put them together? You guys can figure it out. <laughs> you can. I didn't know. I thought it was like to go to the grocery store and get vegetables and fruit. It's apparently not. Right, so here's what we're doing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm only laughing because that would be me. That would be a hundred percent me. Like, just oh, babe, you want me to go get peaches and eggplants? <laughs> okay, no. Oh, I needed that laugh, and I'm sure everyone else did. I love it. I absolutely love it. I um, it makes me when, and it's still tangent, but it's not tangent. It blows my mind how many people still have notifications on, on their phone. And I have, I was with a friend just this week and I'm like, why is your phone dinging all the time? Mm -hmm. And I could feel my anxiety going up Mm -hmm. because I'm like, like, is the house on fire? What is going on? Mm -hmm. And she's like, why, what do you mean? I'm like, why do you have your notifications on? Yeah. He's like, you don't? I'm like, God, no. Like I don't even... Because we we like to have control. And if we have no control over what that might be. So yeah, turning it off. phone will not tell me when I have to pick it up. There's a control freak of me. It will not tell me when it's time to go answer it. I will go to it when it's my time to. Your anomaly though. I love it. Have you watched Social Dilemma? Because if anyone's listening, I highly recommend that. Not yet really good. I, I, it's come across my, my Mm. table like three or four times this week alone. Yeah. So it does show the psychology of social media and uh, has some of the people that created the like button and some of the other factors and shows what it can do. And, um, they've obviously all left the field of social media to express what happens from, you know, the psychology aspect. And I'm not going to ruin the ending, but when they ask them, do your kids have social media? They all say no. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I am not surprised at all. Um, I know my kids are older, so I look at it now and go, anyway, I had enough challenges as it was, let mm-hmm. alone the social media was just really kind of starting at that point. But it is, it's interesting. I, I have coached clients as well that get very wrapped up in likes, follows, mm-hmm. and who unfollowed or where my numbers went to. And I'm like, where, where? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I don't, I don't know exactly. I'm not judging that. I just don't know where that comes from. But is that just part of our tie to social media that that's our approval as far as where we are at for like who's commenting, who's following is people, are people seeing our message? See, I help women with some really vulnerable stories. Mm -hmm. And I, I say to them all the time, I'm like, you, you never know how long someone's watching you for. 
because when it's vulnerable stories, they're not going to be commenting on your posts because there's no way they want the world to know they are struggling too. And for a lot of my clients, they will get a ton of DMs of personal. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for your message. So I'm like, you can't judge what you're seeing on social media because that is, that's, that's, that's not who is actually listening, reading and following. And you know what? Like I say, somebody says, are you pro or con social media? I said, I I see the positives. Obviously, if we use it as a tool, Mm -hmm. it can be very positive. Like we've connected, right? Yeah. But when we don't use it as a tool and we become the tool, that's where the issue becomes. And I usually Mm -hmm. say to people that if we feel that anxiety or we can feel that shift, you know, put that phone away and just allow your body to relax and you become a priority, right? So that's kind of where it's like, just create that balance. You're not the tool. That's just an app. It's like literally, I don't know how they created it, but it's like, I know that I'm worth more than, than my phone. And it took a long time to really, you know, believe that. And I do. And I notice if I'm on my phone too much that I just don't feel right. And it's, you know, I'm a little bit of an introvert bookworm. So I I like doing that. (laughs) Yeah, no, same. My recharge is not, I will do writing. I will write Mm -hmm. and I will, um, and I will read. But many times with my phone, it's like I, I, what I also try and do is talk about like being intentional. So my post, I will figure it out. I will post it. And then I will make a point of going back at a certain point during the day and I will answer anything that's on there, but then I'll spend maybe 15 minutes to try and like put some honest comments and things towards other people. But I try and use it with intentionality as opposed to it controlling and managing me. I love that. And even, you know, like the moms listening in and obviously we can't uh, control our kids. They're going to have it. But like you said, being intentful and and teaching that and being great role models and using skills that can be helped, like kids absorb that. They do. I say, we pick that up and we say, okay, you know what? I'm going to work on these skills, do some CBT stuff, do it with my kids. We're just, you know, they're choosing our nursing home. So we got to be nice to these kids. Oh, man, talk to (laughs) all the time. I'm like, you guys, you owe me for what you put me through as a teen, your teens. You owe me. And like, yeah. And I, I want to be in a nice home. So you're going to take care of me. I like to do those things. Yeah. I think we're back Yeah, there. We just froze for a second. It's all good. So that was it. Like, I wasn't expecting that on social media. So thank you for sharing that because no I problem. So hey, many... we didn't know where this was going, this conversation, but it went somewhere. Right? No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And quick thing, CBT, just so that people also understand that is used in addictions that is used mm-hmm. in like, right. It's used in a number of different areas, not mm-hmm. like you've taken it into a fitness yep. area, but it is a treatment that is used for a lot of different things, right? It's- one of the most widely used therapeutic treatments. So for depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, and it is like more of the head and hub. So then we have ACT, DBT. So we have like the different subsections. And if someone's like, Ooh, I'm really interested in even learning mindfulness or, um, you know, acceptance-based therapy, they will only teach that when you have the, you know, CBT basis first, because that is applicable to all of them. So it is the umbrella term for a lot of other things. And it's not complex in the essence of like, oh my gosh, this is so scary. I'm learning therapy. There are skills that anybody can use. And even, you know, picking up yourself, you can help your friends and family. And that's what at the Bex Institute, as mentors, before I went into going to school to become a therapist myself, I thought, oh, maybe they don't think I'm good enough or I shouldn't be doing this. This was my own sabotage. And they 
were the ones that were completely supportive and says, you go and do what you do. You can do this as a health coach. These skills are for everybody. And I think that's beautiful from a therapist to say that, you know what, you use these skills and you are going to help people because we can all help our friends and one person. If we help one person, that one person will do it. And we can really make a huge change in our culture, subculture, and make a huge impact in North America and maybe worldwide. Okay. I love your thinking. I'm all over your, I just love that. <laughs> and I think that there's a real comment to say there, especially now where we are with COVID and with where like, I know there's a lot of memes and things out there, which I don't think are really a joke, but they are talking about the mental health crisis that's going to be happening mm-hmm. as a result of these last six, seven months. I mean, 100%. I can think off the top of my head for a friend who's marriages have ended, um, health issues that have happened, financial job loss, and the tools, like the tools, the tools, Mm -hmm. the tools that we're using on a daily basis Mm -hmm. will make a difference for how we choose or are able to show up. Yeah. And it's, this is the time where, you know, we've never expected to go some, through something like this. It's not over and it's not to put fear in us, but it's saying, okay, well, what can I do in order to make each day and every day the best day possible and not catastrophize the situation or have these, you know, fortune telling, mind reading, you know, we're just going off the deep end. We've all done it. Right. So it's just saying, okay, well, what skills do I need to go to the grocery store to keep myself safe, um, to make sure my kids are feeling safe at school and, you know, having that learning experience or if they're being homeschooled. And it is vastly important to be able to learn these skills, to be able to cope in today's society, because it just goes to show you that you never know what's going to happen. And that's going to continue to be the case. We cannot control the world, but we control how we react to it. 1000%. This was, I said, COVID was the time for people to see that they actually didn't have control, which they never had, but Mm -hmm. they, they saw it firsthand. It's like, I don't have control. I'm like, actually never did, but it just is in the forefront of our face. Yeah. And it was like conversations, right? So it made you realize that you're like, huh, well, actually I can say no now. Mm-hmm. It's easier to say no to people. Oh, I know I don't feel like going out here because, you know, so that's, that's a great aspect, but it's also who do I choose to spend my time with? Mm-hmm. And that's what I realized through this, that, you know, what conversations did I want to keep going where it's like, maybe you see them here or there, but you start to maybe lose some friends, but you pick up on some other people and I feel like it was just a really good reset. I love that. I love that way of thinking. What impact do you want to have in the world? What impact do you want to create? That's a good question. Um, Honestly, I want to be able to leave the fitness industry and know that I have established CBT and allowed the fitness industry to think differently. And I knew that, you know, before going into where, where I've gone and then when I had that like two feet in, two feet out, I'm scared. Maybe I'll just keep doing aesthetic-based coaching. Um, I realized that I would live with guilt. And I was like, I can't allow myself now to continue in that road when I know what I know now. And of course, we've all made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I've coached wrong. And I know what I did caused, you know, people to feel worse about themselves. They had mental issues after caused, I was a factor in other people's disordered eating when you train somebody to compete. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know I was young and that's not an excuse, but you know what, sometimes you just don't know. And now going through it myself and retiring and seeing that end and then learning about CBT and mental health issues, I realized what I had done and I can't continue to do that, but I can rectify it and make a change and ethically 
I've completely, you know, taken a 180. And that's what I said. I'm like, I can't um, end my life doing that to somebody else and not making a difference. So yeah, you are definitely taking the lessons that you learned and mm-hmm. paying them forward to make a difference so that yep. it changes the industry that you were a big part of. Yep. And it's, it is a beautiful industry. I said, I still love it. People say, are you harmful? No. Do I think a lot of people should compete? Hard to say. So I'm like, if there's one thing I could create, it would be um, a pre-exercise or like pre-risk assessment scale. So athletes, competitors, coaches, organizations can use to see what risk factor is somebody for disordered eating within that sport, or maybe to continue to look that while they are competing to see if there is a shift because Mm -hmm. nobody does know and you're not going to know, but there should be something established to at least see the signs. Mm -hmm. That's that would be a great thing to create. Mm -hmm. That would be a great thing to create. I have one last question for you. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. You have given so much value to everyone. I would like to know what lesson in life you're most grateful for. What lesson? Mm -hmm. Uh, I've I've had many, many lessons, but I would say that, um, you don't have to live with your mistakes and you can change. That's what I've realized that, yeah, my lesson is that, my life can change tomorrow. I can choose to make a change. And I'd rather just not live in negativity and guilt. And there's a beautiful window. Open the door and go and see what's out there. And on that, that is perfect. That's a great way to end it. Honestly, thank you so much for your time, energy, and value you left with everyone today. It was an incredible episode. Oh, thank you. I can't wait to to hear this recording and all our funny laughs too. (laughs) All our funny goofy laughs. It's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.